Alan Moore once said, There's a notion I'd like to see buried. The ordinary person. Ridiculous. There is no ordinary person. This is Save versus Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about Sentinels of the Multiverse, the card game. So, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a game by Greater Than Games, and it is one of our favorite cooperative card games. The premise of the game is that up to five players take on the role of superheroes battling a supervillain in some sort of fantastic environment trying to bring them down. It's something of an homage to the Silver or Dark Age of comic books. And just as a really quick aside, comic books underwent several ages. Uh, The first was the Golden Age, when comic books were just emerging as an art form, and you saw the emergence of superhero narratives, stuff like that. Then the Silver Age, where comic books were largely guided by the Comic Code Authority. The Comic Code Authority limited a lot of the darker themes of comic books in an attempt to curtail the connection between comic books and juvenile delinquency. So they weren't allowed to have narratives about racism, drugs, things like that. Anything that would be especially shocking or very dark. Those narrative constraints went out the window. However, when the Comic Code Authority kind of lost its power in 1985 due to some interesting circumstances, which I do encourage you to look into, and that brought about what's called the Dark Age of comic books, sometimes the Iron Age, which is when comic books started to revisit those dark themes. And this was exemplified by the Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Superboy Prime punched so hard he broke reality. That's not a joke. That's really what happened. So, in other words, it's an homage to the dark reinvention of comic books as a genre. And as such, it has a lot of elements of that within its artwork and its story. So, John and I really, really like this game. So, we're going to say some of the high points, some of the things that we really, really like about this game. I think the first and most striking thing is, of course... The beautiful, gorgeous art. Yeah, the art, which was done by Adam Robataro, who has a very distinct comic book-esque style to his work, really does capture the feel of a comic book. When you look at the characters, there's a lot of consistency between their portrayal. When you see a character on another character's card or in another character's deck, you can immediately recognize who that character is. The effects are what you would expect to see in an actual comic book. And in general, it does capture that theme of comic books. The entire thing does have that visual allure of comic books. He even gets away with using Comic Sans, which otherwise would be the worst font in the world, but for comic books is correct. Uh, Another thing that we really enjoy about this game is that the characters are directly inspired and have direct parallels to actual comic book characters. Now, some of them are really obvious. For instance, the Wraith is a very clear analog of Batman. Uh, Legacy is a very clear analog of Superman. Uh, Tachyon is the Flash. Bunker is garbage. But ultimately... (laughs) 
ultimately, there is that uh, sense of the affectionate parody or the homage to the various comic book icons. So there is that iconic feel to it. Some of the other characters are a little harder to place, but still have kind of a feel. Expatriate, for example, is sort of a Punisher analog with some elements of basically any gritty fighting against the law sort of superhero, you know, anti-hero feel. You have Mr. Fixer, who's kind of a cross between Iron Fist and Daredevil. He's a martial artist who is a mechanic in Rook City fighting street-level crime. And you've got Haka, who's the Hulk. You know, some of them are very clear analogs. Uh, Citizen Dawn is clearly somewhat Magneto and the League of Evil Mutants sort of feel to her with the notion of the superiority of the metahumans over the regular humans. So the, the, there are a lot of analogous themes and that's very nostalgic to us because we did grow up with comic book culture and with the connection to these works. And what's more, it's worth noting that as a cooperative game, it doesn't seem to suffer as badly from the quarterback effect that some cooperative games have. You've heard of people playing, for instance, Pandemic Legacy to the point where one player will basically dictate the game and everyone else is there just to carry out their instructions, you know, where there's sort of a captain of the team and everyone else does what they say. Sentinels of the Multiverse, I suppose, could have that problem if you had a player who was very well-versed on the game and could predict what other players were pulling from their decks. But in general, the synergy between players isn't as strong or as obvious in that respect. And even if you do have one person who's clearly the team leader, everyone really gets to play their character, which doesn't really have the effect of analysis paralysis. Most player turns are actually pretty quick. You draw a card, you play a card. You do your actions. If you have something else going for you, you just have to remember to do that. In essence, a player turn is fairly simple, straightforward, and gives you options without giving you such an array of options that you don't know what you're doing. Furthermore, it has a really unique game mechanic where if one player is defeated, if their character is knocked down to zero health, they're not removed from the game. Instead, they get a version of their character that isn't allowed to draw cards or have health anymore, but still has one of three things they can do on their turn. Some of those powers are actually very powerful to the point where it can be beneficial for certain people to be knocked out at crucial times so that they can contribute to the team in their own special way. A lot of cooperative games suffer from this problem where once one player is knocked out that they're out of the game and they can just check out. With this, everyone keeps playing even until the bitter end. Even if the entire group is defeated, everyone keeps playing. And I like that. I like being drawn into the game. Another thing we like about the game is that the mechanics are simple and straightforward. It's easy to explain the game in about five minutes. And while some of the cards have some pretty advanced stuff they do or pretty interesting things that can be done with them, and there is some synergy between different things where, you know, for instance, how many equipment cards do you have, how many cards are in your uh, discard, things like that do matter under some circumstances. All of that is directly on the card. It's not built into some rules of the game where you have to dig through the rule book to remember what disarm means or something like that. So while we really enjoy this game, we're not saying that this is a perfect game by any means. We have a few nitpicks just directly from the game. The first one is that in the middle of the game, it can get really ugly with the bookkeeping. 
yeah, you can have situations where you get plus one damage of fire damage and plus one damage of ice damage against this character on this attack, but you also have plus one damage until the end of turn, but minus one damage from this effect. And while the game does provide you with small cardboard tokens you can use to help you track this stuff, Ultimately, you can find yourself with sometimes piles of these tokens sitting next to a character and you're kind of going down the list saying, okay, does this apply? Does this apply? Does this matter? This guy takes double damage from fire, so I need to mark down what of my damage is fire damage, how much of my damage is force damage. All of these things can add up to what is sometimes a bit of bookkeeping nightmare. Having said that, it's usually fairly manageable, and the characters that tend to do that can be picked out in such a way that you know when a character starts to do that. Absolute Zero, for instance, does a lot with fire and ice damage collectively and changes a lot of how fire and ice damage work throughout the game. So you know if you're playing Absolute Zero, you're going to have to do a little more bookkeeping for that. You know that you're getting into it, which is helpful once you're familiar with the game. The next big problem that the game has is really in its simplicity. Most of the time, your powers and your cards are just doing damage. Oh, I'm doing one point of damage here, two points of damage here, one point of damage to three different targets. I'm dealing plus one damage and everyone else is doing plus one damage. And now I'm doing three points of damage over here. Wait, my enemy is my nemesis. I'm doing an additional plus one damage. And it's all just damage. There's very little other effects to the game. There are, there are very few other things that are going on other than just trying to inflict damage. Also, resource-wise, you're looking at only a few simple resources. There's cards in your hand, cards in your deck, cards in your discard, your equipment and persistent cards, and your health. And that's basically all the resources in the game. There's no power levels that you're powering up or anything like that. It's just these simple cards and the simple actions that the simple cards do. Sometimes those can synergize into more complex effects, sometimes not, which is also something that can be a little bit frustrating. The difficulty level of the game can sometimes feel arbitrary. For some characters, such as Bunker and Absolute Zero, you can find yourself drawing card after card after card, hoping to get that card that will let you actually do what you do. Those characters are largely combo-based, and when you end up in a situation where you don't have the pieces you need to do the combo, you might not have a choice. With Wraith, I would sometimes get frustrated finding that I had three or four copies of the same equipment. I can't use more than one of the same equipment, so I have all this dead space in my hand. Now, ultimately, that is part of playing a card game, is you end up with draws that are better or worse than others, but it can get a little lopsided, and it can also become very frustrating in a game with this sort of pacing to it. Part of the other issue with this is sometimes your favorite character, your character who is so good most of the time, just gets hosed by an environment. If you're playing as the Wraith and you have a bunch of equipment, and suddenly the environment says, destroy 10 equipment, you're starting back at square one. You're not doing anything anymore. You're just trying not to lose at this point. Likewise, if your character is based on having a number of ongoing effects, abilities that power them up, if a villain says, and remove ongoing cards, suddenly you're debuffed with no real recourse. 
Ultimately, part of this is the fun of exploring the game, of finding out what does what, what characters have what powers, and how they are best used. But it can be a little bit frustrating, especially when the characters vary in power so much. It's really hard to hold Bunker and the Fanatic together and say, yes, these are well-balanced characters that are exactly as good. It's, it's not even close. Anyone can pick up the Fanatic deck and kind of figure out what's going on with it, knock themselves down to low health, and then set off one of the Fanatic's powers that does tremendous damage based on them being desperate. Bunker, you might not even know what you're supposed to do. The first time I tried to play Bunker, I was literally sitting there looking at my cards saying, I don't know what this is supposed to be. I, I can apparently roll into a shell that protects me from all damage, but I can't do anything else while I do that, and I don't actually draw aggro, so I feel like I'm just hiding from the fight. So the next big problem that we have with the game is, while the art is wonderfully flavorful, the flavor text on each of the cards is very hit and miss. They felt the need to include flavor text on every single card, and they try to give it the feel that there's this whole comic book continuity behind it that like an entire silver or bronze or gold age of comics happened for these characters and they're just referencing all of these adventures these characters have been on on these cards and in some cases it works really well and in others it doesn't i'm going to read some of the ones from ra ra is a character included in the base set for sentinels of the multiverse and he's something of a thor analog now i've heard it argued for instance that in screenwriting you should have a character, when a character says a quote, you should immediately be able to know which character that quote is being attributed to, okay? So, with your knowledge of Sentinels of the Multiverse, the quote on this card is, Why won't you just die? What villain said that? Um, well, that, that sounds like Baron Blade. Clearly the Doctor Doom Lex Luthor analog in the game. Telling Ra that he needs to die while he shoots him with a laser gun. No. No, that's not correct. Actually, it is Citizen Dawn. And interestingly, Citizen Dawn is another sun-themed character. So this is sun-themed character against sun-themed character. And the quote is just, why won't you just die? I, it doesn't have any feel behind it. It doesn't have any flavor behind it. It just feels like they felt the need to include a quote on the card. I'd like to see something more like, my powers of the sun are equal to yours. Why won't you just die? That would be enough to make it into something specific to Citizen Dawn. But as it is, it just feels like, well, we had to put a quote on this card. Let's use this. Here's another one. Uh, let's see. Not even worthy of my time. Well, okay, so Citizen Dawn has, like, almost defeated Ra at this point. So it's like a healing effect that he has? Uh, no, actually, this is Ra deals one target five fire damage, and that's a quote from Ra. He's, he's being dismissive. Kind of works with the card art, but there's nothing about that quote that says, you know, this is, you know, because the card art is is raw sort of turning over his shoulder and blasting someone with fire someone off camera obviously but so the the fire blast it kind of makes sense but again it doesn't really go anywhere or say anything uh let's see okay this one is a little bit better um this is for the card flame barrier and it's enveloped in the heat of the sun those who draw too close to raw feel its burn i mean yeah, that's okay. That's that's kind of a pretty cool comic book quote. That could be something that would like appear in the corner of a panel as various villains were like shying away from Ra's fire. You know, it can, it can work. It's not a spectacular quote, but that's more of the baseline of what I'd like to see. Another example. This this one's actually pretty good. It's for Blazing Tornado, and the quote is: "Naturally occurring fire tornadoes are dangerous and unpredictable. Those summoned by a sun god are much worse." 
that actually sounds really amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a comic book quote. Like, that, if I read that in a comic book, I'd be like, yes, this is a comic book. That is a quote from a comic book. That right there sounds like it has so much flavor. It It's conjuring up this wonderful image of Ra making a blazing tornado and sending it off against a vast army trying to raid the tombs of Egypt. I I love that quote. Yeah, it gives us it gives us a real sense of how this character is supposed to feel flavor-wise, like what the character is supposed to be. And I like that. But, you know, those other quotes not so much. Another another one for his summon staff which allows him to summon his staff basically. From the fiery ether, return to me my staff. Okay, yeah. Kind of has a reader repulsive sort of magic wand to make my monster grow feel to it. You know, like maybe it didn't work so well in translation. But again, it's kind of a good quote and they can do that on these cards. I, I, I actually really like that. It calls upon the idea of Thor being able to draw his hammer back to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Ra is kind of a, a culturally shifted analog of Thor. He's the sun god where gods are superheroes sort of thing. Yeah, so it, it shows the parallel there. In a very good and very clear way. Now, this last quote uh, is pretty obvious. It's for the card Excavation, which allows you to draw extra cards, which makes sense. Again, it's pretty cool. And the quote is, this belongs in a museum. (laughs) What's that a reference to? We we all know. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great Indiana Jones reference, which gives it an homage within an homage. And that's pretty cool. You know, which is something that you see in comic books, too, where you'll see homages to things, and it does build on that feel that you're going for. Unfortunately, like I said, the the text is really hit and miss. Tachyon is very similar. She's actually one of my favorite characters, and some of her quotes just, like, I don't know, she kind of feels like a Scientist Valley girl sometimes, and I, I don't feel like she has the character they're trying to portray. Now, in a lot of the supplemental material to the game, she has more of a character personality and feel and all that, but the cards don't convey that in their flavor text in the quotes on the cards, and that's a little disappointing. So you mentioned that in screenwriting, you should be able to cover up a character's name and know who said something. Likewise, with the flavor text, you should at least know kind of what the card does just by reading the flavor text. Right. I have a couple cards here from Wraith that completely go against that. First one here. The wrong person in the right place can make all the difference. Okay, so that's like, that brings to mind the idea that the Wraith is ambushing someone or something, you know, so uh, it's it's got to be like they're grabbing him from behind or something, right? What is the card? Uh, it's throwing knives. She, she has throwing knives and is throwing them at the villains. So the art is just her throwing throwing knives. Uh, uh, it's actually just her holding them, so kind she's, of. She's holding the throwing knives and talking about how the, the wrong person in the right place... It, See, it, it doesn't really work. It doesn't it doesn't contribute to the image, you know? And the throwing knives card does more or less what throwing knives card should do. Does damage, right? Yeah. Uh, three targets take one projectile damage each. Boom, right. Absolutely what throwing knives should do. And the the art is her th- holding throwing knives. Again, makes sense, but the flavor text just doesn't contribute to that. Uh, he, here's another one. Being prepared is all about having the right tool for the job. Now that sounds like a card that lets you dig through your deck to find the right piece of equipment, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's what I from that from that text I would guess that the card lets you search for an equipment or allows you to at least draw a card, right? Well, you do get to draw a card, but you actually destroy one ongoing or environment card. It's the grappling hook card. It 
really doesn't synergize well with what the card is. That's a little disappointing because the art and the feel of the game is so cool. One of the great things about Sentinels of the Multiverse is that it does what lore should do for games, and that is it contributes to the image of the game. In tabletop games where you're playing with cards or dice or or with a board game, as opposed to a role-playing game that has this elaborate lore to it, lore is usually meant to be a good background element that gives us a feel for the game, and sometimes that sort of lore that doesn't synergize well can be a little jarring and actually contribute poorly to the game experience, which is disappointing. Those were the negative points, but once again, we recommend this game. It is a fun game. I, I brought it over to John's place, and he and his wife and his brother played it with me, and we had a blast. It was a great game. And so I I think at this point I'm going to just kind of go a little off script here and just explain one of my favorite characters. There's a character called The Naturalist. He's a Beast Boy shapeshifter-style analog. He has three different forms that he can shapeshift into, and you, you search through the deck for the different form, and you then become that form. And his different cards are affected differently by which form he's in. If you're in the rhinoceros form, you're more resistant to damage. If you're the crocodile, you do more damage. If you're the antelope, you run away, heal, and draw more cards. And this character has basically any tool for the job, as long as you can set up for it. And I really like being able to play that type of character. And it's completely different than every other character in the game. Which is another one of the fantastic things about Sentinels of the Multiverse, is how different the different characters play. You can't use the same approach when playing with, for instance, the Fanatic as you would use when playing with Chrono Ranger. Now, I'm actually a big fan of the Fanatic. She's my favorite character as far as gameplay is concerned, and I favor her art. I think the uh, sort of fallen angel imagery is really cool, you know? It, It kind of appeals to me. I like the fact that she's sort of a desperation play. As she gets worse and worse damaged, she becomes more and more powerful. So as the game wears on, you become more capable of fighting back. It gives you that ability to push back, which really appeals to me and is a really neat play style for a game. You have people like Legacy, who is the Superman equivalent. He bolsters his allies, encouraging them to do more damage. You have Ra, who slowly powers up to do more and more and more fire damage. You have Tachyon, who slowly builds up power and can eventually release a hyperspeed barrage and just do damage based on the number of cards in her discard pile. So all the characters play differently, and all the villains play differently as well. Baron Blade, for example, has his mobile defense platform that he uses to fight you, and once you knock that out, you still have to defeat Baron Blade and finish him off. He's a multi-phased fight. Citizen Dawn has this enormous array of allies, so sometimes... Citizens of the Sun. Yeah, which, again, are kind of the, the League of Evil Mutants sort of analog to Magneto. So you can end up in situations where you're playing against the same villain in a completely different ways. Season Dawn will sometimes be locking down what cards you can play. Other times you're going to be hit by a barrage of damage every single turn. You find yourself trying to decide whether it's more important to take out her minions and try to get those out of the way or focus on Citizen Dawn herself to try to actually end the fight. It ends up creating unique, interesting strategic situations, and it's a lot of fun trying to figure out the best approach to these situations with different characters. 
Now, one of the best supplemental tools for this game is the Sentinels of the Multiverse difficulty calculator. You can find it online for free. And with that, you can mix and match which people work well together, which people work well against which villains, which villains are more difficult. Going into the game, you don't necessarily know that Baron Blade is going to be super easy, while Iron Legacy is going to grind you into dust. You don't necessarily know that the Chairman is going to be a long, drawn-out fight, whereas Omnitron is going to be a fight where you just constantly are breaking android parts. As we said, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a completed game. They aren't going to be adding any more to it. The final Kickstarter finished fairly recently, and while they haven't hit shelves at your retail stores yet, a lot of the Kickstarter backers are starting to get their material, and that's the last Sentinels of the Multiverse card game material that is ever planned. They're not going to milk that franchise into the ground until it runs completely dry. They're just going to cut it off when it's good. That said, the fans love this game. I'm one of the fans. I love this game a lot. So there's a group of people online that have released a fan expansion called The Cauldron. It is a group of heroes and villains that are entirely fan-made, and you can go to a print-and-play shop and have it printed on high-quality cards. Now, the thing I like about this is Greater Than Games went and saw this and went, hmm, people releasing fan material. And they could have just shut it down. They could have just went in there and went, cease, desist, enough. But instead they went, this is canon. This is an official, unofficial expansion. And I love that so very much. It was a company that could have squashed the creativity of the fans and instead embraced the fact that the fans love their game so much. And material from the Cauldron is available online. You can find it uh, for free. Obviously, printing it is going to cost you something, but that's just the nature of printing things. Having said that, there's some amazing new heroes offered. The Knight, Baccarat, Necro. I mean, some of these have been playtested pretty extensively to the point where they're understood to be on par with and kind of at a parity with the actual characters from the official expansions. Alright, so that was Sentinels of the Multiverse. Once again, if you get a chance, pick it up. I actually recommend picking up the base game and the expansion Rook City right off the bat. The base game's a little spartan, a little dry. You end up running through the first four villains a number of times. But if you pick up the base game and the expansion, you have enough mix-and-match ability to just keep playing this game for a really, really long time. So, what do we have up next? Oh yeah, next time we're going to be addressing Complexity Creep also known as why I will never DM Pathfinder ever again. All right, this has been Save vs. Rant, Sentinels of the Multiverse. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. Captain America once said, Doesn't matter what the press says. Doesn't matter what the politicians or the mobs say. Doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tells you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. New episodes are released on the first and third Monday of each month. 
Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.